Whoever that was here, you are a leader. All right. Um, we are in a series called Head Games, which is uh, maybe some of the reason why you guys are here for some of you. This is a sensitive topic, obviously, because this has kind of just gone rampant um, in terms of our schools, um, our communities, our influences, whatever. Uh, this has been crazy right now, is this idea. And so we have to tackle this as the church, as a community together. We have to be able to tackle this idea. How does Jesus work with this concept? That's what we have to talk about. But I think at times we haven't addressed it to the point where it's actually impacted us because it hasn't been as maybe direct as we need it to be. And I think that's really important for us to understand. As we start off, I want to make something very, very clear. Some of the things you're going to hear tonight, you are not going to like if you are somebody who struggles with anxiety. Not because I'm trying to make you feel bad. That's not at all my heart. What I want to do, I'm going to blame this one straight on Jesus, okay? Jesus is going to say some things that are going to come across a bit frank. And I think that's okay. And I think we have to be open-minded enough to understand that the creator of the universe probably has a say in the way that we think about things. So off the bat, if you are someone struggling with this, this is a personal matter in your own heart. I just want to say that we love you here. Um, this is a safe place to be in. But Jesus is going to tell us some things that I think we need to hear. So if you have a Bible, please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to go from verses 25 to 33. We're going to read a big chunk. So if you missed out on your Bible reading today, this counts. And uh, we'll read this for you. And we want to just make it sure that you are really listening to what Jesus has to say to us. Because I think it's very, very important. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore... This is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the great king of the Old Testament, who had everything. Look at what Jesus says about him. Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these, like a little lily. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And look at how he ends. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, what you're doing in this place, that you would allow us to tackle such a topic that you could um, be the solution to, that you would allow us to just open our minds and see how you influence this very situation in our hearts and our lives and allow us to just be um, just so excited about what you can do, the hope and trust that we have in you, that you would make something great out of something that hurts so much. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen. 
Um, if you guys uh, haven't heard my uh, story with my wife, it's kind of a crazy one. Um, we met when I was 14, and uh, she was 15. Yes, I know, she's a year older. Cougar. So anyway, so uh, we met when we were younger, and, uh, and I immediately was like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Like, I need to wife her. And uh, it happened. The ship has sailed. So um, anyways, we met when we were 14, and as we were going through high school, I did the dumbest thing we could possibly do. Um, we would send each other, which is kind of foreshadowing, but we, we would send each other wedding proposal videos all the time. You know, those like really elaborate ones, like the crazy ones. So all of a sudden, like we're just friends sending each other wedding proposal videos. Okay. And so as we kind of, you know, life kind of went on uh, five, six years later, what had happened is now, after a crazy story, we are in the position of getting married. And so I'm looking back at our whole life and going, man, I'm an idiot. Why would I send her all of these videos? Because now, in my mind, I have to one-up these videos, right? So I'm thinking through this whole process. I'm like, man, I'm going to get like three elephants. I'm going to spray paint. I love you. One thing. I did it. And so all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm now going, okay, so what do I do? How do I outdo this? How do I outdo this? And so I put all of these plans and all of these things together. And I said, oh, this is perfect. And I had this idea in my mind. She was living overseas in Dubai. She was a flight attendant. She was going all over the world. So in my mind, I said, I'm going to meet her at one of her destinations. And then it got even better because she was going to go to a location on her birthday. And then it got better because that place where she was going had a Disneyland. All right. So now the plot is thickened. Things are coming alive. I need to get some moolah. So at this point, I would go, Mom, come on. And she... Fested up. So all of a sudden, I got some moolah from my mom and I, I booked a plane ticket, okay, alone. One person knew about this whole plane. So I got her to drive me to the airport and I was on a flight to the great nation of Japan. I was going to Tokyo, right? The Harajuku girls. Anyway, so uh, we were going. Those Gwen Stefani, none of you know that because you're like, Anyways, okay, so I go on the airplane and I go to Japan. I go to the airport and they have these wireless routers. So I put on my backpack and I would travel through J Japan and I had to try and keep track of three different time zones. Where I should be, Canada, where I actually was, Japan, and where she was, which is in Dubai. So now I'm trying to keep track of all of these things. Like it was so like, I just felt bad about myself, the amount of lying that I had to do. Oh man, work is so great. And I'm like eating sushi, like whatever. And uh, the day comes, shows up, she's about to land. And I go, okay, I, I've set this whole thing up perfectly. So I send her a message because in my mind, she has no Wi-Fi. As soon as she gets into Wi-Fi zone, the message will say delivered. This is my thought process. Genius, right? It'll say delivered. And now I know it's a go, right? The game is afoot. So as I'm sitting there trying to kill the time as she comes in, I'm watching some YouTube, right? Some stupid videos. I'm laughing at some horses jumping. It's great. And so all of a sudden, I'm texting my friend Anna. I'm texting Anna through this whole situation as it's going on. And the way that it used to work on your phones was you would, um, you would text someone and then you would go to a different application and then the notification comes at the top. So I texted Leash, hey, how's it going? Went back to YouTube, Anna texts me. So I click on that notification and instead of it going to Anna, it goes to Leash. So I have some pictures about how this all went on from her vantage point, okay? So the first one is me saying, I just screwed it all up. No. She responds back with, how? How? What happened? How? I thought I was texting you and I texted her. 
she's not, she's not a Christian, so she went full blatant name of God. You know what I mean? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, what did you say? What was it? Does she know for sure? Michael exclamation mark. Okay, next one. She hasn't seen it yet. It hasn't delivered yet. You had like two minutes, cancel it, call it back. What did it say? I said, how? I don't know, I'll Google it. I, it said, I'm only gonna go to the hotel when she contacts me. That's the message I sent her. I'm only gonna go to the hotel when she contacts me. Idiot, right? So now she sends me a screenshot of how to take the text message back. And I'm like, okay, this is full on stress mode. Next one. Uh, she goes quickly. It's sense already, that's the problem. She decides to meme. Are you serious? <laughs> Come on. She sends me back, everything is terrible with a meteor killing a dinosaur. Not the best place to do this, okay? So I said, where the heck is she? I was in a moment of frustration. I apologize for my language. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, she said, flight got canceled for sure. Obviously, this is the best friend ever. Not. Okay, next one. Nothing I can do, right? Now I'm in the dumps at this point, right? Oh, woe is me. She says, you should have said that was meant for your mom and that there was a cousin or something in town. I said, that sounds so bogus. She goes, not more bogus than what you said. And I said, all right, I did it. Uh, and then what, you did it now, send me a screenshot. And then I, in pure anger, said no. She said, you're exhausting, it delivered. Okay, okay, that's good though. Next one. She decides to lighten me up by sending me a picture of myself in leash with a manatee. So there's us. Um, and how good of a selfie is that, right? Oh my gosh, it's us in a manatee. And then I respond back with the words um, mimicked from Jesus and it is done. Right? You get the reference? Okay. It's finished. It is finished. Cross. He died. Okay. So anyways. That was that whole thing. You could, you, could, you could put that down. So in that whole moment, I am freaking out. I've spent money, energy, time, all of this thought process to go and do this thing. And in an instant, I am freaking out because it's all going to crap. It's all over. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, pulled it all back. And instead of this being such a horrendous moment of my life, this was the greatest moment of my life. Where I sit there, I propose to my now wife, and then what did I do? What every great man would do, I took her to Disneyland, and then it kind of scared us when Mickey Mouse yelled at us in Japanese, but that's okay. <laughs> but what is the point here? What's, what does this have to do with anything that Jesus is saying? The point is, I was in a moment of absolute frustration, freaking out, worry, fear of what could happen. And as soon as that didn't happen, I was then okay. A lot of what happens with anxiety for us, fear, worry, problems, is it begins to be at a lot of times situational. As soon as the situation changes, the anxiety then flutters and goes away. This is why at the end of this text in verse 34, Jesus says this, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own problem. He's saying, listen, the problem that you have today, you're not gonna have tomorrow. The problem that you have tomorrow isn't going to be today. From that, I, I, I've always lived in the kind of way where I said, why should I worry about something that in three months I'm never even gonna remember? 
And maybe that's important for us to understand too. That the way that Jesus explains this to us is, listen, today is its own problem. Stop worrying about the future. Stop trying to control those things because you can't. For some of us, the way that Jesus starts in this passage of Matthew 6, he has four words that are probably some of the most important things for us. This is what it says, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. And he repeats it again later on in this passage. Do not be anxious. A couple weeks ago, Reuben came and spoke in Life in Distortion. And he said something about habitual sin. And he included anxiety within his list of sins. And I had so many people come up to me afterwards and ask me, was he telling the truth? Is anxiety a sin? Well, what is sin? Sin, in essence, is missing the mark. It's to go the opposite way of the standards of God. It's to go and disobey against what he has commanded us to do. So now God in flesh has said in one of the most important moments that his time on earth is, in this Sermon on the Mount, his command in this, a command, it's not a suggestion, his command, sustainer, creator, savior of the world, do not be anxious. That's heavy for me. I worry a lot and I never processed in my own mind that my worry and my doubt of what God is doing, which is what it is, is actually me operating in sinful behavior. Because he has told me to do something and now I am doing the exact opposite of that thing. He says, do not be anxious, and yet I live in that. And a lot of the time, I try to make it a scapegoat. This is something that's happening to me, not something that I am doing. Right? These situations are the reason why I'm anxious. It's not my own fault. I, I'm not choosing to want to do this. And this is one of the things that we've, we, we've lost in our society. For the last 30 years, there's a, there's a book uh, by this guy named Nassim Taleb, and he writes a book called Anti-Fragile, and it's talking about the state of us, so basically everyone from 1980 till now has been screwed up with. This is what the whole thesis of his book is. And what he says is in the last 30 years, we have lived in an age of absolute prosperity and peace. There has been no wars that have affected us like it did every other generation. And what it's done is allow us to believe that life is easy and cozy because the issues that has plagued everybody else has not come to us. And because we believe life is easy, whenever life hits us, it shows how emotionally fragile we are. His basic point is, and this is kind of crazy, because we have not experienced what war is, we are emotionally fragile. And we have to learn things about what Jesus is saying. Because the way that he says it almost says like we have a control over this. He's not saying this won't happen to you. He's saying it will happen to you. But do not do it. It's control. You, you can stop. It's 
It's kind of funny that Jesus and uh, Mr. Rogers think the same way. Mr. Rogers on his show, maybe none of you watched it. He was this guy who was on public television and he did this kid's show and it was absolutely amazing. This is one of the songs that he sang with his kids. And I think it's important for us to understand. It says this, what do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you can fight. When the whole wide world feels so wrong and nothing you do feels right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you punch some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you can go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned the thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to. I can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this. And know that feeling's really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. But even he is saying to us, the things that you are feeling you cannot be passive about. Cannot be passive about. You have to take responsibility. And the Bible does not minimize this. There are 365 references to do not fear, do not be anxious, do not be scared. It does not say that this is not a reality that we're going to live in. It's just saying, don't do it. And it's difficult for us to understand. There's so many things to be anxious about. The two things that Jesus talks about in chapter six are this. Um, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. The two things that he says that you are anxious of or this audience is anxious of are the things that they will eat and the things that they will have to put on clothing. He's saying you, you are worrying about whether you're gonna have a meal tomorrow. Now, a lot of us don't have that problem, but that's kind of a big issue. It's kind of a big problem for you to worry about what you are going to eat. Now, some of you might feel so disconnected with that. We live in Surrey, where one in five individuals live under the poverty line, and this is everyday life for them. The nine-year-old who goes to school every single day and is made fun of because they don't have a lunch again. Mom is trying to get a job. Dad is fighting for his job back. They don't know what they're going to eat tomorrow. This is everyday life for people who live around us. And that's the severity to which Jesus is talking about. Don't be anxious about how, how intense that is, whether you're going to eat the next meal. And then he moves on and says, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Some of us get worried, we freak out, we get so anxious because we're going to a place and we don't feel like we're gonna dress up to the occasion. We stress, we worry about our makeup, about our clothing, is this the right shirt, are these the right pants, are these the right shoes? And that's not even close to what he's talking about. You, us, worry about what we will wear they were worried and fearful of what do we even have. These, in my mind, are such legitimate things to be worrisome about, to be afraid of. Do I even have food? 
Do I, do I even have clothes? And yet Jesus commands them over and over and over again. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Look at how he responds. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or seep or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The thing that will define your choice with this issue is this. Are you going to look at your anxiety, your fear, your worry, and allow that to define your view of God? Or will you look at God and allow him, his nature, his character, his love, his mercy to define the way that you look at your fears? Right? We have heavy, heavy times of anxiety. We go, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought you wanted to be here for me. What is that in that moment? It's you looking at your anxiety and allowing that to define your view of God. But there's a different way of doing things. David in the Psalms, so even though I fear, I will trust in you. God, you are my strength. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my shield. I will trust in your name. That's a whole different way of living life. Because he understands one really, really important thing. Listen, if the birds in the sky have food, if the grass is able to live on a daily basis because how much he sustains it, then we have to understand that the one thing we always have to look to is this idea that God is in control. He's in control. There's so many case studies all throughout the Bible that gives us this exact same thing. Let, let, let's go with one. Hopefully this doesn't confuse you a bit, but let me show you how in control God is. Uh, Leviticus 16 talks about this idea of the priest. And the priest's job is that they are to prepare the sacrifice for all of the people. So they get it ready, they go, and they, they go and do this thing. Then there's this interesting passage in Acts chapter 2 when it talks about Jesus going to the cross and him dying on the cross. And it's, uh, it's this passage that sometimes we look over, but it really says something kind of interesting for us. Acts 2 verse 23. This is what it says. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He was delivered up according to the plan and knowledge of God. So here are a couple things. The main thing that God said for the priest to do is to prepare the sacrifice. And then Acts tells us this story about Jesus and how according to plan, he was supposed to go to the cross. Now, who was the one, the main individual who sent Jesus to the cross? Right, at the time of Jesus, there was these moral institutions, these, these religious types, and they were the enemies that Jesus kind of pushed up against. And one of the guys who pushed up against him the most was a guy named Caiaphas. He was the high priest. 
And he was so religious, he was so stuck to rules that everything Jesus wanted him to do, he pushed up against. No, you're dumb, you're wicked, you're not saying this right, you're not saying this correct. And he pushed up against Jesus the whole way through. The high priest's job is to prepare the sacrifice. God's plan was Jesus to go to the cross. And who was the one that sent Jesus to the cross? The high priest, who in essence, even when he didn't want to, did the very thing he was always called to do, which is what? Prepare the sacrifice. And who did he send to the cross? Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He became the ultimate sacrifice for every single one of us in this room. Why? Because that's exactly what God planned to do. So you're telling me all of salvation history worked exactly the way that he has called it to go. And we're freaking out about exams. And we're freaking out about the pressure that people put on us to do better. Now we begin to see a little bit of how inconsistent this may be. That worry is not so much you doing something that you should be doing. It's you doing something that changes the way that you see God. Because either you worry because you don't believe that he's in control, or you worry because you're trying to live in a way that he does not exist. But there's something you need to do with this. There's a call for you, and it's this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says this. And Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, on Jesus, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What you are to do in fear and anxiety is to cast. It's to give up to God. Now, it's not just a simple prayer. Sometimes we pray to God, but really, as Augustine says, it's really just worrying in God's direction. And that kind of misses the point of what we want here. It's not this uh, kind of pithy, passive way of just speaking to God. No, it's, it's this, God, do this for me. Root out the fear of what it is that you really have and give it to him in, in an aggressive manner. That's what it's saying, to cast, to, to throw onto him to try and get so rid of this thing that he's the one who now has it for you. You don't have to carry it anymore. But how do you cast your anxieties? What does it say that you must do? The first two words, humble yourselves. In order to cast, you must be humbled. In order to cast, you must be humbled. If humility leads to casting, casting leads to freedom. So for you not to cast your anxieties on him does not show that you are humble. If humility is linked to casting, non-casting is linked to pride. Pride. 
to worry is to take the office and the job of what only God is meant to take. The reason why I'm freaking out about tomorrow or next week or next year or about that thing that's looming in front of me is because I am not willing to give up control because I believe I can do it. The casting, the giving to Jesus is something that you must do in humility. Not to worry in God's direction, it's to do something completely different. Look at the way that Paul expresses it in Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The way that Paul expresses it is, man, I'm going to allow God, my view of who he is, the one who is in control, the God of peace, to define the things that I think about, to define the things that I worry about, to define the things that I'm anxious about. It doesn't start with my fears. It starts with the way that I see God. It starts with the way that I see Jesus. I was watching uh, Dr. Strange this week. It's kind of a dumb movie, but it's awesome. And the climax of the whole movie is so interesting for this. It's like this bald lady and Doctor Strange, it's like a Marvel superhero movie. And the whole time through, this character, this Doctor Strange character, is just everything's about him. Everything's about him the whole way through. And she says something so profound, actually. She goes, you do not get it. She says, your fear and your arrogance do not allow you to understand it is not about you. It's a movie. And it just said the exact same thing that Peter said. Maybe the hard truth for us is not so much that God is not doing something for us, is that we are not doing something to him that we cannot allow God to just come into our life. We can't just ask him to come in to take this thing away when we're not willing to do something with it. The onus is not on him to relieve you of your anxiety. The onus is on you to cast your anxiety on him. It's a very different way of thinking about things. Because the problem of worry is that it means you do not understand the reality of life. The reality of worry is we do not get how this works. I'm in this included. I freak out about everything. This is so hard for me to be able to say. Because all it does is it's a mirror to me to go, man, I, I'm prideful. I try to have control. I'm anxious about the littlest of things all the time. I freak out, I worry, I'm scared all the time. And what this says to me is, listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. Your job is not to take it. Your job is to give it away. That to me sounds like freedom. 
And the way that Jesus goes, and he finishes off what he goes and says in chapter 6 of Matthew, he says this beautiful line again, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That when you understand who God is, you will understand he cares for you. He loves for you. If he's going to take care of the birds, how much more will he do for you as an individual? There's a famous kid's song that goes around this passage, and I think it's really important because it actually hits the heart of the issue. This is what it says. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, oh, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such cares for you and me. I listened to that and it rocked me. That in my worry, that in my very own anxiety, all that it shows to the rest of all the people watching me is I do not depend and trust in the God that saved me. That's hard for me to accept. That's hard for me to understand. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it, says it this way. The result of worrying about the future is that you are crippling yourself in the present. You are lessening your efficiency in regards to today. Worthy, a worry is something that is due to an entire failure to understand the nature of life in this world. Worry is something that is due to an entire failure to understand the nature of life in this world. This is not a question of whether God loves you or not. Let me be really clear. Your anxiety, your fear, your worry is not a question on whether he loves you. Jesus went on the cross for you. Of course he loves you. Your fear your anxiety is not a question of whether God loves you. It's a question of whether you trust him or not. At times, we like to play the victim. God, why are you doing this? God, why are you doing this? God, why are you doing this? And we never take the other seat to imagine God saying to us, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? I don't want you to keep it anymore. I don't want you to carry that on your own. Why do you think I sent my son to die for you? The baggage is not for you to have. It is for me to receive. That's the premise of all of this. Let it go. Stop holding it for yourself. Because the very issue of the cross is we could not do what we need. That we need him. We need him to die. 
We need him to be resurrected. He needs to be the one that grants us the victory, that he takes our baggage. That's all that sin is. And in your time of worry, the opportunity that you have is to practice that very action. Jesus, just as you took my sin, just as you took my disobedience, so I want you to take my worry. And that's an everyday action that you get to practice with love, with humility, and the people around you will look at you and go, man, there's something different about them. And that's exactly what Jesus' hope for us is because he lands the plane in Matthew 6 with that beautiful way of talking to us in just the way that he always does. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't sit here and worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. In the words of Jesus, sustainer and creator of all things, his advice for you if you have anxiety, if you have a problem with worry and fear, is take it day by day. And that whole language should stir something in us about what it looks like to take something day by day. When the Israelites, when when the people of God left Egypt and had absolutely nothing, who were they absolutely dependent on? God. And what did he do? He gave them manna. He gave them food day by day by day by day. And what you would do in that moment is you would think, okay, there's all of this food here. Let me stockpile some of this for the next couple days. And then the text tells us that no, no, because if you kept it for the next day, that food would go bad. And it's almost as if God's pressuring these people of God saying, no, 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 no. Depend on me every day. Every day. Every day. And then Jeremiah echoes the same thing where he says, God grants new mercies every single day. This is not a question as to whether God loves you or not. This is a question as whether you trust him. God is looking to you and he's asking you a question. If you already trusted me to take away your sin, Trust me to take your worry and anxiety. But you have to be the first move. Humble yourself and give away. One of the most important things that I've understood with humility um, is this old illustration. There's four pastors and they're standing around and another young pastor is overhearing their conversation. The four old pastors are talking about a new preacher in the city who is just amazing in the way that he speaks. And one of the old men said to the other, ah, but he won't do much because he hasn't been broken yet. And the lesson that's learned for us is that God in the long term does nothing if it doesn't come to him broken. your anxiety, that your worry, that your fear is not a permission slip for you to run the opposite direction, but it's an opportunity for you to show everyone around you how much you actually trust him.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for your words. That as we read this, that this is all just coming to the climax of us understanding you, of us knowing your nature. If you, if you took care of the birds, of, of the grass, how much would you do for us? That our anxiety is not something that we are to keep, but to give away. That this has already been modeled on the cross that you have taken our sin from us. And so you will take this from us as long as we humble ourselves and we cast. That we will not give the devil a foothold. We will not open the door for the devil to, to work in our minds because this anxiety, this fear, this worry that we have, we give to you. I don't have to hold this anymore. I don't have to be in control, God. You will do amazing things through my pain and you will show the rest of the world just how amazing and great you are. Father, we trust in that. That maybe today for the very first time, we can just let go. We can loosen our grip of the control of our life and just say, God, just, just, just do what you want with me. That today would be that day that our worry, our fear would be lifted from us because we just trusted, we depended on you. Maybe that looks like every day we just get on our knees and pray, God, rid me of this, rid me of this. Every single day that we would humble ourselves, be down on our knees and pray fervently to you day after day, God, do this, please. And you will show just how faithful you are. You are good, you are gracious, you are merciful, and you love us. Now let us do the work of giving it to you. So Father, we thank you, we love you, and just wanna pray, amen.